Today, as we continue our series, continue walking through the book of Nehemiah, continue this theme, rallying the family, trying to understand where we are as a church, where we want to go as a church, and, and then rally, so rallying the family. Today, it's a little bit about a little bit of a report. Uh, so before we get into the report, and I'm going to I'm going to do this a little bit differently this morning. Before we get to the report, I, I just need to tell you something. It's something that I've said to you a lot. It's something I'm going to continue to say to you a lot. Maybe even say it to you in the same way. But it's really important to, to just begin the reporting this way for you to know that you're loved. I mean, there's a couple things to notice about that simple phrase, you are loved. First of all, it's passive, which means you do nothing. You're, you're simply a recipient of love from God. But more, I want you to know the way in which he loves you. You, you are loved in an unconditional way. That, that means when, when God loves you, he loves you not on the basis of who you are, what you look like, he, he loves you not on the basis of, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't, he doesn't love you based on race or ethnicity or language. He doesn't love you based on what you can do for him or what you do do for him. He doesn't love you because of what you could do for him. He doesn't love you. He loves you in spite of your sin. There is nothing you can do. Understand this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is likewise nothing you can do that will make God love you less. You are loved by God in an unconditional way. You, you are loved by God, secondly, in a, in a lavish way. Paul, Paul talks about the lavishness of God's riches in Ephesians chapter 1. He, he talks about how, how he lavishes love and forgiveness on us. And that word lavish, I wish we could just think about that word and imagine that word. It's, it's an over-the-top, overflowing kind of love. Like it, it's, it's I, I try to imagine what this like. It's like water being poured into a cup till it overflows. It's like a conveyor belt of grace that just keeps coming. John talks about it that way, that, that from his fullness, John 1, he gives us grace in place of grace already given. It just, it just keeps coming. It, it, it's like a treasure trove where you just keep digging and imagining and going further up, and this is C.S. Lewis now, further up and further into, into the riches of God's grace for you. It's, it's lavish. It's, it's not just a little bit. It's not just barely enough. It's, it's more than enough. It's over the top. You are loved in an unconditional, lavish, and even eternal way. God's love for you extends all the way back, all the way back to before the world began. Before God said, let there be, he knew you, and he named you, and he had ordered your days. He loved you before all time, and he will love you into all eternity and every moment in between. He loved you at the cross. He loved you at your baptism. He loves you today, and he will love you into all eternity. And our Savior Jesus does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are loved unconditionally, lavishly, eternally. You are loved in active ways. God does not just say, I love you, but God actually does it, right? He does it by dying. He does it by rising. He does it by washing. He does it by, by serving at the table. He does it. He loves you in an action way. 
dear people of God, you are loved by God. And, and as we get into reporting, I think, I don't know if I need to say this, but I do, you're loved by me too. Um, today we're going to unpack and maybe see some things that will challenge you. We're going to unpack and talk about some things that will maybe put, you'll push back on a little bit. You're, we're going to talk about some things that will encourage you or maybe discourage you. Some things that maybe might hurt a little bit and you might think, he can't love me if he says these kinds of things to me. And I'll try to say them in nice ways. But I want you to know as we begin that I love you too. And, and what I say to you as we, un- as we give a report is only coming, well, I, I wish I could say only because I'm not, but because I'm not God, I try to make it come from a place of love. And so with that being said, with you knowing that you're loved by God, most importantly, and you're loved by me. I want to read. Let's, let's read together. I'll read it to you. Ne- Nehemiah chapter 2. So last week, Nehemiah, he asked to report. He's back in Babylon. He's back in Persia. Now he's at Jerusalem. He's investigating. He's giving his report. Nehemiah chapter 2. You can follow along on the sermon notes. You can also follow along on the screen. I, this is Nehemiah's memoir, I went to Jerusalem And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. This is the word of our God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, You are the light of the world. You are our God and our Savior. You have called us into your church, to this congregation even, and we pray that you would bless our our walk together as as individual Christians who have been joined together at this moment in time and at this place for, for your kingdom's glory. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I've, I've wrestled with how to start this sermon, and I'll, make, I'll start it this way. As, past, as a pastor, you're, you're in a unique position to, to look at things and to attend to people in a way that sometimes people don't always like. You know, I'm asked to pay attention to your spiritual welfare. I'm called, where pastors are called, to, to pay attention to where you're at in your walk with Jesus and to, to make judgments about it. 
maybe you don't want me to say that, but it's something I'm called to do. Are, are you walking with Jesus or are you wandering from, from him? So you pay attention to things like church attendance and Bible study attendance and, and, you, and you pay attention to words and actions and all those kinds of things that are fruits of faith. And they give you a little bit of an insight into where, they're at, where you're at spiritually. As pastor, you also, you're also responsible for the health of a church. Spiritual health, that is. And how are we as a, as a church as we serve and, and follow Jesus? Jesus, And so you, you pay attention to church attendance and, and offerings and Bible study attendance and, and, and invitations and, and all those kinds of things. It puts me in a unique position to evaluate and attend to and pay attention to things that are happening. Happening. And you maybe don't even see some of those things. Nehemiah was called by God, and it was something he took on on his own as well. He was called and sent by God from Persia. The king was on board with this. You have to read the section at early chapter 2. He goes to the king and he asks the king for permission to go and actually permission and help to go back and rebuild the city. He's in this position where, where he's going to evaluate things. He had heard a report about Jerusalem, and then what did he do? At night, when no one else, this is weird to me. Why did he do it at night? I don't know. But he did. At night, he's evaluating and studying and looking at and investigating the walls of Jerusalem. And, and, and I wonder if he just wants to know how bad is it. I heard it was bad. The report that was given, I heard it was bad. But, but how bad is it? How, how broken are the walls? How broken, how burned down are the gates? How disgraced are the people? How bad is it? He was in a unique position to evaluate and study what was going on and then to give his report to the people. And this is what was really cool to me. First of all, I have a couple of questions about the people's response. First of all, why were they surprised? <laughs> he tells them the walls were broken down and like, yeah, we should do something about that. And I wondered to myself, well, what took them so long? But, but, so it wasn't necessarily surprising. But you notice their response. They heard the report that was... Things are terrible. I mean, you, it's, it's quite clear, isn't it, when you think about it? The walls are, the, Jerusalem's in trouble. The, it's in ruins. Gates are burned with fire. We've got to rebuild this so we're not in disgrace. Unique, Nehemiah was in a unique position to tell the people of God what was wrong and how they could maybe fix it. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what's wrong, but what I want to do today, I, I wrestled with how to present this to you, is walk you through the, the five core things that we as a church have said, and, and God says this too, what are the five things that we want to be busy doing, and, and then to share some things, how, how, what's going well, what's not going well, and maybe you say this, is, this is belongs in a voter's report, well, it's, it'll also be there. But one of the reasons to bring it here is this is a spiritual activity, it's not just business. This is people's walk with Jesus, your walk with Jesus. This is our congregation and, 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 the, and the spiritual life of the congregation. So you'll notice there's a, in the sermon notes, there's a place for you to think about and make, make reflections or notes about where we are as a church. And you can offer your own evaluation of this too. Maybe you disagree with my evaluation. That's okay. So you have a place to make a church evaluation in these areas and then personal evaluation in these areas. So where are you at? Because there are certain things that as I, get, as I know you, I just don't know about you. 
So a place for you to just do your own evaluation. So, so we had these five areas. We, Pastor Krieger read them when we walked through um, the confirmation with David and Bailey. So here's, here's number one. One of the things that we say and God says too is we gather. Right? As God's people, we gather for worship. And I don't think this is surprising because God says this is something that Christians are to be doing. Right? Hebrews chapter 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's do it all the more, encourage each other, and do it all the more as we see the day approaching. So, so we gather because here is the word, here are the sacraments. Um, this is where God's people, it's, it's one of the biggest opportunities for God's people to be shouldered by shoulder. That's why when we talked about, about what was going to happen if, it was, if we didn't have power, we said, well, we still want to gather and, and we could have just said, go to another church, go to their church service, but we, we St. Matthew's was going to allow us to have our own church service at 1030 at their place, which would have been, which would have been okay, right? But because we wanted to be together, right? Because we recognize the value of word and sacrament and God's people gathering. And, and there's a report about all these things on the back table that I'll encourage you, invite you to take home and you can do your own study of those things. But did you know that over the, in the last year, 138 people have been gathering for worship on a, on, a, on a weekly basis? I mean, that number goes up and down based on different Sundays, but, but that's, a, that's, a, that's a really cool thing when you think about it. 138 people are gathering. 110 on the average basis are members who are here, which means 28 people are in worship with us on a regular basis who, who aren't members, who are just coming because they're friends of Mount Lebanon or they're looking to Mount Lebanon as perhaps a place where they can grow in their faith and, and become a new member. Where there are, I'm just, I have to look at this real quick, 91 first-time guests last year. 54 of them came back a second time. Some of them more than a second time and a third time and a fourth time, right? And so I'm sharing that with you because God's doing something here and God's people are enjoying something here. We're gathering word and sacrament. We're growing in our faith and that's a beautiful thing. But I guess my question is, where are the other nine? kind of referring to that parable that the, the not a parable it actually happened the the one leper who returned healed to give thanks there were 10 who were healed nine went and were healed but never came back to give thanks one came back to give thanks Jesus was happy about that but then he asked where are the other nine and I guess my question is where are the other nine and what are we doing about it it's awesome that 138 of us are here every week but you know we have 360 people who count themselves as members of Mount Lebanon and then that we count as members. That's not, just a, that's not just a statistic so we can say, oh, look at how big we are. Those are people that we care about, souls that matter to us and matter to God. Sorry, matter to us and matter to God. Where are the other nine? And what are we doing about it? And if you want to evaluate this part of your life, this gathering for word and sacrament on your own, consider how, how often you've come to church. How, how important is this regular weekly gathering of God's people? Where are the other nine and, and where are you? I'm glad you're here, actually. This is really cool. I thought it'd be even smaller than this group, but this is a great group. Okay, so we gather and then we grow. 
Right? I, again, I don't think this is a thing. You guys can throw up the next slide. We grow in our faith. I, I don't think this is a surprise when we say this because this is something that our, that our God teaches us to do. Psalm 1 he describes the person who is blessed who does what? He meditates on the Word of God day and night. Right? Peter tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we grow in faith in, in both personal Bible, personal Bible study and devotions and also corporate, church, um, connect group, Bible studies and devotions. Right? We grow, again, we grow because of the Word, which happens here in worship, but it happens in Bible study too. And again, there's reason for rejoicing here. There are, this was last year, but there were 50 people who signed up to be a part of a connect group. And, and, and that doesn't even count other people who are attending other Bible studies or other gatherings of God's people around God's word. We, we printed soap journals and we just can't keep them on the table. Right, we're, we're gonna, I promise we're going to print more so you have them if you want them. But that, that, that says to me that people are, that you're interested in growing in your faith. But again, let me ask the question, where are the other nine? You know, if there's 50 who are, who are signed up for a connect group, are you making it? Are you part of a Bible study regularly? What are you doing in your personal Bible study life? There's a personal question for you. I, that's something I can't know. I mean, I, I guess I could. I could put cameras in all of your houses and see if you're doing that, but that'd be creepy. I won't do that. Something for you to think about. What are you doing in your, I know this is my shtick here, but what are you doing for personal Bible study and devotions? Worship is valuable and important, and, and I want it to be a cornerstone in your life, and a non-negotiable thing of every week. But, but if you only do worship, you'll be blessed but it's, you're almost starving yourself spiritually in between. Right? Where, where are the other nine? Where, if there's 50, where are the other 75 who are in worship? Where are the other people who could be in a Bible study or aren't? And, and I know it's too busy or it doesn't fit into my schedule, but can I challenge you to look at your priorities? If, if we say that growing in our faith is something that we ought to be doing, um, what are you doing to grow in it? And, and, so, and then thirdly, we've, we, we have this, we connect. We, we say around here that we want to be a community for the community, and we don't have time to unpack all this that Scripture says about doing life together, but Proverbs is full of wisdom and, and the blessing of walking together in life and in the faith with fellow believers. The scriptures are full of one another verses that tell us how to, how to treat and care for and support one another, carry one another's burdens, uh, love one another, support one another, pray for one another. In other words, the church is, it's, Pastor Krieger said this too, it's not just Jesus and me, it's a, we're very individualistic, but it's a, it's a corporate we thing, Jesus and we. So, so we connect, we, 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 we do things because we want to be together. This is a hard one to put your finger on, but, and maybe you can just evaluate us as a church that way. How well are we at acting as community? Connecting with each other. 
personally, what are you doing to, to walk in a deep spiritual relationship with another person, another Christian? It doesn't have to be a member here, but, but what are you doing to walk through life with another Christian? We put up these, these guards and these walls, and, and, and we don't need to tell everybody everything. We don't have to be fully transparent with every person, but is there one or two or three that you open your heart to so they can correct you and rebuke you and encourage you? One pastor said he, he, had his, he had a garage band, and what he meant by that, it was a group of guys with whom he was deeply, relation, in, deeply intimate, and they would sit in their, bar, they, they would sit in their gar, garage and share a beer and share life. Who's your garage band? And, 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 and we won't, we, there's not time to unpack all this. I'm sorry, I'm just going on and on today, but I have a lot to say, I guess. Right, the, 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 the bickering that sometimes happens and the words that are sometimes said and, and sometimes as pastor you hear about these things and it's, you can't get involved in them because you're like a third party and you don't actually know what happened but you know a little bit about what happened. The gossip and the words and the things that are said to each other that just break the church apart. Brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be this way. Right, we want to connect but instead we push each other apart. Right, there, there are blessings here to be sure, but we have work to do. Right, we, we, we gather, we grow, we connect, we give. It's number four. Right, and, and by give, I, part of it's offerings. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about offerings um, as we talk about the Rally of the Family thing. One of the main one of the part, goals of, of Rally of the Family is to in, in a four-year time gap to pay, down, pay off the mortgage, to raise some money to think about carpeting and, and upgrades and updates to our sanctuary to take care of this place. We've got to pay for the roof that's on there. Thank God it's there, right? We've got to pay for the tuck point. It, part of it's money, but part of it's service, right? Again, if we're going to live and walk together as fellow believers, this one-anothering, it, it takes service to other people here at Mount Lebanon, here outside of Mount Lebanon, I don't know if you realize this, how blessed we are. In, in fact, whenever somebody says this about Mount Lebanon or, or somebody says this inside Mount Lebanon that we need more people to volunteer, I say, yes, we have more work to do and we need more people to do it. But do you realize how many people are actively serving here? It's hard, again, it's hard to put your finger on it, but, but I, I estimate at least 81 people, individuals, are doing one thing a month, at least. So that one person might be ushering, serving at communion, serving on a border committee, and then doing something else. And that might be more than once a month. Just blows me away when you think about that. It's more than half of our Sunday attendance is doing something once a month or more than that. On an annual basis, our budget is $326,000, and we haven't had trouble since I've been here, and I think before this, Jeff could clarify this later, of meeting the budget. And we're paying a mortgage, another $28-some-thousand a year. It's incredible. Right? I, I didn't dig into this, but, but there were, last year, there were 139 individuals who gave an offering to the ministry here. That's more people than we have in church. 
right? God's people are supporting the work that we do here by word and, by word and action. There's, there's work to do, though. There, there's things that, that we all can do. Again, this is maybe something for you to evaluate. How are you serving and how are you giving? And, and, and when you think about this, think about here at Mount Lebanon, but also think about outside Mount Lebanon. Because we give of ourselves money and time and effort here and out there too. This is not the only place to serve Jesus. Okay, and then finally we go. We, we, go, we go with the gospel. We tell other people about, about Jesus. We, we, one of our goals here is that you would see um, evangelism as not like an event. Like we, we do evangelism on a trunk or treat or we do evangelism here or there or other places, but it's just part of your way of life. And I, I'm blown, again, I'm blown away by how hard we work. We're not perfect at it but how hard we work to make people feel welcome. We sometimes trip over ourselves to make people feel welcome. Again, we're not perfect at it, but we're, at least I can say this, we're trying hard. <laughs> I, I've, I've sometimes said to myself, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna sure work hard to try to figure it out. Well, we, we try hard because we want people to feel welcome. We, we put our feet in our mouth more times than we'd like to admit, but we're trying. <laughs> Because we want people to know that they're loved. We want people to know that they're welcome. But here's my question. How many of you have told somebody about Jesus or invited them to church? I can't know that because I'm not looking over your shoulder as you live your life. But, but how many of you have been sharing your faith? We put a stack of, I, I don't know how to evaluate this, but we put a stack of Christmas flyers on the back table and I had to throw them away. How come they didn't go home with more of you? So that you could throw, I mean, so that you could give them out. I don't want you to throw them away. Give them to somebody. At the very least, drop them off at the laundromat and the grocery store. You know, there's tables full of flyers. Just drop them there. At the least. I don't know. I don't know if you're inviting. I don't know if you're sharing. Share some stories if you are, because I want to know about it. I want to encourage you in it. We, we, we gather, we, we grow, we connect, we give, we go. I'll be honest, I don't like sermons like this. I don't like preaching sermons like this. Um, because I, I, I like to be positive. I like to tell you the good things. I, like, I, I would have loved today to just be like, look at what God's doing. Because he is. Look at what he, I like to focus on that. I like to be hopeful, but I, but I think there are times when we have to be honest. We, we, can, we can say things are good and also say there are areas for growth. There are opportunities and challenges and issues for us to address, thing, things to work on. We, we, have we have 360 souls who are members of this church. 138 are, we have work to do. Only a part of us, 50% of us or so, are in a Bible study. We have work to do. There's a world out there that needs to know about Jesus. We have work to do. There's, there's a mortgage to be paid for. We have work to do. Right? We have to, let's be honest about those things. But let's also be hopeful. Don't, don't walk away from today. Well, two, two things I don't want you to be. Don't be mad at me. 
because I love you and I want the best for you and for our church. Okay, don't, don't be mad at me. If you are, let's talk. I'll, I'll buy you a cup of coffee and we can talk about it. But let's be hopeful. I'll give you three reasons for hope. One, God's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's, let's not be afraid of being shown things about ourselves or our church that, that are the way they shouldn't be. Let's not be afraid of seeing the issues and the problems and the challenges and the things that are wrong here. Let's not be afraid of the things that, that are shown to us that are wrong about us. Because there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for each one of you. There's forgiveness for each one of you here at the table today. There, there's forgiveness for each one of you in the cross of Jesus each day. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's be hopeful because of his forgiveness. Let's be hopeful because of his power and his promises. This work that we do together, we don't wage this war based on human ingenuity or, or good thinking or let, let's, let, let's, we have to have a perfectly uh, orational, oration sermon. That's not even a good sentence. We don't have to worry about getting it right. We don't have to worry about saying it the right way or doing the right kinds of things because we have the gospel we have the Word of God. And that Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It gets right where it needs to get. This is Hebrews 4. It gets right where it needs to get to cut out the cancer and to bring healing. Right? We, we have the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. We have the gospel that is like rain from heaven or snow these days. And it, I know it's a pain right now, but it's going to do something. God promises that it will do something. It doesn't come down without, without doing what God sent it for. Right? In this ministry, this word and sacrament ministry that we do, it, it goes out and it comes back instead of, and it just changes things. Instead of a thorn bush, Isaiah says, a myrtle will grow. We, we have the gospel. We don't wage war with human arguments. We wage war with the word and with the spirit. Let's be hopeful because of forgiveness. Let's be hopeful because of the power of God. And, and let's, this is simplistic, I know, but let's be hopeful because of God. We have God, the, the creator of heaven and earth. The one who spoke, let there be, and it was. The one who gave his son to death on the cross. The, the one who's been at work from before all time to carry things to this day and will carry them forward into all eternity, up whose sleeves we cannot imagine what's there. Our God can and will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his great power. Let's be hopeful because of God, because of who he is, because of he's got a plan, because of his power and his promises. Uh, uh, Nehemiah, he stood in front of the people and he said, guys, it's bad, it's really bad. 
The walls are broken down. The, the, the wall, the gates are ruined. Jerusalem is in disgrace. We got to do something. And the people said, all right, Nehemiah, we're in. Let's do it. Let's build these walls. Let's get busy doing it. There's going to be opposition. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be a hardship, but let's do it. And they got the wall done in 52 days. Blows me away. I'm not standing here in front of you saying the walls are broken, the gates are burned. It's not that bad. It's not that bad, okay? It's not that bad. I hope I didn't make doom and gloom today. It's not that bad. We got work to do, but it's not that bad. God's doing good things here. But I hope today you join me in praying with the psalmist, Lord, establish the work of our hands for us. Establish the work of our hands. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Amen.